Welcome to NHASED Spotlight, our regular podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carosa, co-executive director. Before introducing our guest today, our conference series catalog is set to view for 2023-24. We've got plenty of workshops for administrators, for teachers. We have a math conference coming up. It's just pretty robust. So check that out at nhased.org right on our front page. I want you to know, too, in addition to our great professional learning, we support our education partners throughout the state to advocate for our members in New Hampshire. We produce a monthly newsletter, of course, this podcast. We're on social media daily, and we have many more benefits coming up for our membership uh, this fall. So check everything out again at nhased.org. Our guest today on the podcast is someone I've been following for many years. I call her the ASCD go-to tech person, Uh, Monica Burns. She is a... uh, Curriculum and EdTech Consultant, Dr. Burns is an ASCD faculty member, the founder of ClassTechTips.com, her great website that's very teacher-friendly. She was a classroom teacher in New York City, and she used digital tools to create an engaging learning experience. Uh, She's led workshops and webinars, provided keynote presentations to teachers, admin, instructional coaches all over the place. She hosts the Easy EdTech Podcast and the author of EdTech Essentials, the Top 10 technology strategies for all learning environments. And that's something we'll talk about today. She has a brand new quick reference guide on ASCD called Using AI Chatbots to Enhance Planning and Instruction. Again, she really is the ASCD go-to tech person. So thank you, Monica, for being on the podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Excited to be here. Yeah, and my uh, co-host today is our NH ASCD president, Steve LaBelle. Hi, Steve. Hey. Hi, everyone. As you say, you're just rocking the chair. You're already out of school, which is kind of neat. We are as we out of record school. that. So you're just you're relaxed, ready for summer. I did. I chose to wake up and shower for you both this morning, <laughs> not look too gruff. So I'm very excited. And, and of course, this is only an audio podcast, but we see each other on Zoom, which, you know, is a good thing. It's it's not quite in person. I'd love to be around a table like in a recording studio, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a good deal. So I always like to start, Monica, you were a classroom teacher. And mm-hmm. and in reading a little bit of your bio, it almost seems like the life you're living now, Not it didn't happen by accident, but it happened by a phone call uh, way back in 2012. Is that right? So almost more of a decade ago, um, you were a classroom teacher. Talk about your uh, your New York City teaching days a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, all things happen for lots of different reasons in our lives and some small moments end up having more of an impact than we might think that they will as they're happening. And I started my teaching career in New York City with an overhead projector and chalk and a chalkboard and all of those Mm -hmm. great things. And a few years into my work in the classroom, we had an opportunity to become a magnet school, District 3 within New York City. A few schools became magnet schools. So we were composting in one corner of the classroom underneath our environmental stewardship uh, magnet theme. But we also had an opportunity to go digital a little bit, right? Or to think about, in our case, iPads in the classroom. That was in 2011. So really at the start of that, not the first school by any means, but early on with one-to-one technology in our environment was all about 
how can we use these devices to give kids more access to information, more engaging learning experiences, change up our formative assessment routines. And that's when I had an opportunity, Apple Education called and asked if I would come down to speak to what I thought were just a few teachers that were interested in technology, you know, but I ended up walking into a few hundred teachers who were ready to write down every app or strategy I rattled off in my, you know, hour or so on a big stage. And at that point, my only public speaking experience was standing in front of 30 fifth graders (laughs) for a few (laughs) years, or maybe sharing a few things at a faculty meeting. And so it really became the start of my journey of sharing. People started asking in that room, what's your blog? Can we follow you on Twitter? Right. All these things that I didn't have good answers to. And so within a few months, I decided maybe I should put some things together, share some favorite stories. And that's really where class tech tips came from. And that's evolved greatly over the past more than a decade or so now um, with an opportunity to share my stories and strategies and visit schools and districts and organizations all over the country and a few spots internationally too. At what point did you realize, I think I'm going to make more of an impact by leaving the classroom and supporting teachers? Yeah, well, I was in what I, you know, we sometimes think of that seven-year itch in your school building where I said, am I going to go to another school? Am I going to try a new space or new environment? And I had some opportunities to speak and share in in the ways that I do now in a smaller capacity um, than right now. But I said, if I don't try this now, who knows when I will? And so I had some opportunities to scale up some of my speaking and some of the writing and things that I was doing. And that's really when I said, you know, let's try this out and see what that impact looks like a little bit different than what it has been in the you know past several years. So let's get right into your latest book. And we can talk about the reference guide too a little bit. You talk about the top 10 tech strategies. And I was interested, I read the book. Thank you for sending it. Mm -hmm. I was interested in what your mindset was in those 10. I mean, obviously if if your editor said, let's do 20, you would have come up with 20, right? Mm-hmm. But why those 10 in general, I guess? And we could talk about certain specific ones too. Yeah. Well, I love to narrow things down so that we can have something concrete to talk about. So right away, being able to say, these are 10 strategies to focus. There's so much you can do with technology integration, but I know from doing the 30 this or 25 this presentations at conferences, right? I always start off by saying, you don't need to do all the things right now, or maybe even ever. It's really about having a focus and knowing what's out there and available. So with these strategies, I really wanted to give some language to administrators who might make a decision on what our primary area of focus is for the upcoming school year, a way for them to say, we're doing a really great job with this right now. Here's an area that I know we need a little bit more attention, maybe even focusing our professional learning goals on, you know, for this chunk of time. And so it was really a way to take the big things that we know are important and narrow them down to these essential pieces. So we could step back, evaluate where we're at right now, and then make some decisions on where to move forward and where to prioritize our time and energy in the classroom. And then at a coaching and administrative level. Monica, that that's perfect, right? It's that concrete piece to have those discussions, which I think is really important. And it really, the discussions are where the learning happens, Mm -hmm. right? Between administrators and teachers and all stakeholders. You talked about curating resources. 
Um, and the Fordham Institute talked about supplemental resources from Teacher Pay Teacher or Read Write mm -hmm. Think and talked about how those really weren't high quality. So how do you, what suggestions do you have to make sure that it's a common understanding in the building that these are vetted resources and what does vetted mean, I guess? Yeah. Curation is a part of our everyday, right? I don't know if anyone mm -hmm. sent you a YouTube video or a podcast episode suggestion this morning, right? We're recording this kind of early, right? But we get things coming through from friends and family and we send out plenty of things and we're essentially curators, right? Of yeah. these experiences we want other people to have. So as a person who's planning for what a student is going to consume, right? What's being picked out or chosen for them. There's a lot that goes into that curator role. And it is really easy to see something bright and shiny or something yeah. that is just a fast fix, but maybe really isn't addressing anything of substance. So one of the big pieces there is coming back to your learning goal, right? What is it that you want to do? What are you focused in? Another piece of that is how are you addressing everyone's needs? Am I curating or choosing this for everyone or just for a few individual students that need that additional supplemental support? Am I looking for content that's audio only, that has a yep. transcript, right? That has these other pieces that are going to meet the unique needs of a group of students. So that curation piece is so essential and it is easy to say, okay, I checked that box, but maybe there really isn't much meat there. So it really comes back to facilitating conversations with groups of educators who are searching for supplemental resources, really narrowing in on that why, which could be a few different things. I talk about in the book too, right? What is it that we're really looking for here? You know, it yep. could be just one thing that we're looking for, like a multimedia resource or a more diverse example or story to supplement something else that we're sharing, right? So the reasoning behind why we're picking something can vary, but it really is important to narrow in on that intention to be transparent about it and to bring it to those planning conversations that you might have with a team as you're building out supplemental curriculum resources. And you're right. We're just getting thrown everything in our faces. And sometimes we don't have time even for those discussions. And it's it's that those failures too that we can celebrate as well. Like, oh, we tried this resource. Mm -hmm. This was a, <laughs> a wicked bomb or a commercial came on in the middle and it was really inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, and, and speaking of, of inappropriate or potentials of inappropriate, mm -hmm. how, how do we help students navigate these new spaces now? I feel like because of remote learning and COVID and everything, we, we've depended so much on, on these tech spaces, but now students are starting to navigate into chat rooms or different potential danger zones. How do, how do we help our students navigate this world? Yeah, there's just so much out there. And in the past, if we were going to say to a group of students, okay, here's a stack of 30 newspapers. I want you to choose a current events article for our main idea in detail, you know, lesson. There's always going to be students who find, and I'm using air quotes here, that article, right? Yes, <laughs> or the one yeah, we didn't yeah. want to talk about this morning. But we're not to say those are the same things because we're at an accelerated pace for that right yes. now, right? So it's not to say it's brand new, but we are right at a whole nother level when it comes to just the impact there of easy access to great information, low quality information, or things that are just not pertinent um, in that moment. So when I think about navigation of digital spaces, 
Part of that is building that capacity within a classroom environment to think aloud the same way a teacher might when they're reading a picture book, right? Like, oh, I noticed this button, it must be the save button. Or, oh, I pressed this, it didn't do what I thought it was going to do. And we're speaking this out, right, to students the same way we might model how to solve a word problem, right? So part of that is building just the capacity to navigate spaces in a way that's efficient, um, that's the best use of students' time and is transferable mm-hmm. and part of their skills. And the other piece is setting up kids for success. So we know that we might go to YouTube, we might do a filtered search to find a four-minute video that's been released in the past two years that is going to come from a vetted channel or source, yeah. but we might not tell kids, go find a YouTube video on this, right? Yeah, You might build out a collection of four or five vetted resources, show students how to navigate. Here's how you skip ahead. Here's how you go back to just like you would reread a page if it got noisy Mm -hmm. or the, you know, the fire drill went off and we'd have to start (laughs) again. Right. So you can build these navigation strategies in the context of a content area uh, lesson. But at the same time, there are strategies teachers can take to make sure that they are setting up kids for success in navigation. And some of that does come back to the curation conversation too. Yeah, for sure. It it all goes back to that open thinking. Back when I was a classroom teacher, a middle school teacher in in the nineties, someone gave me a donated, a really nice microfiche machine. (laughs) If you remember what microfiche even is. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was high tech at the time because we had just gotten past the sort of the film strip type of technology. And, and I was able to get a subscription, I think, to the New York Times on microfiche. And so we used it as a research tool in my classroom. And it was easy to integrate that. It was it was just like books, just like magazines, mm-hmm. periodicals. It wasn't a problem. And then as time went on, as you know, in the, during the 2000s, over the last couple of decades, technology at first was, you know, when the internet came about, for me, kind of in the mid 90s, late 90s, it was an anomaly. It was fun. It was an add-on. You had separate computer teachers. You had separate conferences where Steve and I and NHASCD is involved with the Krista McAuliffe Tech Conference, mm-hmm. helping to organize that in New Hampshire. And it, it's the largest tech conference probably in the area and for a while in New England. And it really was a tech conference for a long time. And now it's really a teaching and learning conference. One of your top 10 tips talks about understanding. And it was for me, it was good to see that in there because that's a a time-honored practice that all of us need to to teach kids is how to obviously understanding is at the core. You know, we go back to Wiggins and McTie and understanding by design. So how can we use technology to honor those time-honored areas of education we know are so important without making tech sort of this anomaly and just fun activity? Yeah, well, rooting, you know, what we're doing with technology in the best practices is really where things shine. So just coming to the assessment piece, like you mentioned, or check for understanding, you know, there are things that we know are very useful, right, from a formative assessment perspective, even if we think of just an exit ticket or exit slip as one little part of that, right? So although it is effective to hear from every student, right, at the end of each lesson to drive our instruction moving forward, we know that giving everyone a sticky note or an index card might not give us the highest quality information. It might not be the best way for each student to share their learning. And it may not even be the most efficient way to organize that data or take action on it. So 
There's ways to use technology to have students jump on a video, right, for 30 seconds, give an update. And if I hear them use the word numerator and denominator as they talk about whatever fraction question I asked, well, I don't really care if they can't spell it in that moment on a post-it note that I collected, right? So it really comes down to what your success criteria is. What am I looking for from students? And can I give them different options to share their learning? And maybe it's an authentic and creative way. Maybe they're making something that mirrors a product, like a graphic that you would see on Instagram, even though we're never going to post it, right? But we're bringing in visual literacy skills or even talking about media literacy and you know doing attributions for images, right? So we might take something really core like formative assessment, like a routine such as an exit ticket or exit slip at the end of a lesson and bring in technology to address other goals, or to just make sure we are coming back to that core of can I tell that students understand and do I have strong information to pivot instruction? And what I see in a lot of classrooms, even this year as I went around different schools, was technology as the tool and as the main activity, actually. So there may not have been a lot of pedagogy going on. It was pretty much, let's use this tool to do something kind of fun. And I'm not saying occasionally you don't do just fun things in a classroom. You must see that too. How how do we help teachers avoid that trap? Well, it comes back to some of the things that have always been a struggle. Like, is this worksheet, you know, on paper, really the best use of our time? So it's just another way to have this conversation around intention and decision-making. And if we can say, you know, what are we hoping to accomplish in this moment? Or how is this going to make it different, right? How is this tool going to make it different? Well, maybe there is something I don't see walking around the room, like the fact that each student has a differentiated passage. I was able to push out to them. And a few of them can press play and listen to that current events article read aloud, right? Or watch a video on lab safety while other students are reviewing something at a different time. So there may be things we just don't see happening, but there is the same sort of issues and concerns without technology. Like, is this worksheet the best use of our time? Or how did we pick this particular resource? What is that intention behind something? And creating an environment where People, teachers can ask questions, they can look for support, they can plan collaboratively to find really strong digital resources and come back to that, what is our goal here? What are we trying to accomplish here? Some of those core questions haven't changed, but we're just repurposing them in an environment where it may be a little easier to deploy something um, with technology. And because of that ease, sometimes things can get lost in the shuffle of our, our our core mission. But yeah, but I think you bring up a really good point, Monica, because when people hear technology, when educators hear technology, they think it's just one more thing. But it's really not just one more thing. It's an and Mm -hmm. it's it's something that can it's a tool that can be used to disaggregate data quicker, more efficiently for them and actually make differentiation a lot easier for them, too. I think that's awesome. Yeah, there's a level of ease and efficiency there that I think we're sometimes, you know, we put last on the list, you know, but there's a huge piece of that. If I have the brain capital, if I have the energy to be able to meet with a few more students because I'm not worried about whatever other thing, or I haven't put all of that into this other planning that I need to do, or I can't find where this data source is, right? That's going to make me more effective and present with a group of students. And just like anything, 
there's routines, there's a learning curve, there's things that have to happen. And if I had a group of first graders and we have to practice for six weeks, lining up for lunch, that's a routine. And that's going to pay off in November, hopefully, right? Once we've all got that routine (laughs) down. But if I have a group of eighth graders and we do a similar routine at the end of each week for goal setting, well, it might've been a little painful to get us all set up the right way, those first six weeks of school. But once we've got it right, then we have that routine, you know, for the rest of the school year. So there is that level of maybe you call it a learning curve. Maybe you call it that investment in a routine, right? That's going to pay off throughout the rest of the year. Just as later, Doc Hudson talked about go slow to go fast, right? <laughs> um, so it, I totally, it totally makes sense. So thinking about those routines that, that you're mentioning, even for adults, I, I'm going to ask to put our instructional coach kind of hat on now and think about how do we support or how do we differentiate support in a building that's mixed of digital uh, natives to digital immigrants and people who might be super comfortable versus not as comfortable. Yeah, we typically use those terms to describe someone who was born into an environment with lots of access to technology or someone who has entered an environment, right? That now there is all of this technology. And one of the things there that I think can sometimes be a hang up is that just because someone has spent the past however many years using technology and maybe we're putting younger teachers just by number, right, of their age in that bucket or category doesn't necessarily mean that they've had high quality interactions with technology or that they Mm -hmm. can make the pedagogical connection to where this would be useful. One of my favorite things is working with teachers who have a lot of experience in the classroom where they are able to make that aha moment. Or I've always taught this unit on ecosystems. Now that I know that there's these Google arts and culture, deep dive type of coral reef experiences we can go on, this is going to change everything for vocabulary acquisition for my group. So having the context is such an asset. So someone who might put themselves in that category of, I've never seen this before. I didn't grow up with this. It wasn't like this when I went to school. Those are all really valid feelings to have and embrace. But at the same time, those same people are often coming into conversations with such an asset of experience with an understanding of what works, what students typically need, and they can have a different set of aha moments of what's possible than someone who just doesn't have that context or has doesn't have that experience in a classroom with a group of students or with that particular um, subject area. Yeah, to go thinking about teachers that I've worked with. Uh, so I was at a middle school this year and it was May. So teachers are already super tired, super stressed out. And I was working with a special ed teacher who had to take eighth grade or sorry, sixth grade uh, Greek God instruction and translate it down to her life skills students. Mm -hmm. And I introduced her to chat AI and said, let's see how chat AI can explain Zeus at a first grade level. Mm -hmm. And it explained, we just typed in Greek gods, first grade level, and it came up with solid one sentence pieces that Mm -hmm. one saved that teacher's time, but also allowed for us to be, like you said, with intention, is this really what we want the students to get out of these gods? And I thought that was really powerful. 
Yeah, there's so much happening right now in this AI space, particularly mm-hmm. the generative AI space where, you know, we ask a question and it gives us something that's brand new or didn't quite exist in that way before, even though it's pulling from plenty of sources. So it's mm-hmm. been really exciting to think about that the past, you know, not even quite a year or so with educators right. specifically around what you're talking about, the planning, the preparation, how can we use our time more efficiently? This is not a substitute, but a way to accelerate our workflow and repurpose yeah. our time. And at the ASCD um, annual conference in Denver this past year, I mean, I had a packed house for a session. I think 200 or so people in the room. We had to close the doors about 15 minutes early and we just got started because no one else could fit in the space. And I say that because the energy and the interest is really there right now around what is this thing? What is it going to look like for my instruction? Sure. What does it mean if students are going to use this too, right? That's a part of the conversation, less of the conversation I'm having. I'm more having the teacher, admin, coach, what can we do with this conversation? But yeah, it's really a game changer for some of those differentiation components, just like that example that you gave Steve. And this provides a great segue because you just published uh, using AI chatbots to enhance planning and instruction, a quick reference guide, something ASCD is doing uh, more of. First question I have, and you could talk about the uh, reference guide. Would you have put AI in your top 10 if, if you could have? So let me tell you about, I've been thinking a lot about my ed tech essentials and what's in there and the connection. There's definitely some connection in terms of the curating content, right? The um, assessment piece, especially around developing assessments or question ideas. But I've been thinking a lot about what other word might go in there. Like if we expanded it to a 12, like maybe evaluates one in there, right? Like evaluate the responses that you're getting or a essential skill will be to generate or engineer a prompt, right? So it's definitely been front of mind for me, not only just the connection to the book at Tech Essentials, but also what an expanded kind of conversation around it would look like. When you type in these questions and you look at the responses, yes, things come up or information come up, but you have to ask yourself, how does this align to my values? Mm -hmm. How does this response align with who I think educators or how this answer? So I, I, yeah, it, it, it goes back to that big conversation, just going back to talking it through reflective. What is my intent with this? Mm, Absolutely. Well, Monica, this has been a, a crazy, wonderful discussion and I hate to cut it short because we could go two hours, three hours, but then no one would listen. (laughs) So we got to make sure uh, we keep it brief enough. But this is the type of topic and you're the type of guest that we really should have back probably yearly, if you're okay with that, just to update our listeners on on what's happening. And and I would think you might want to do I'm your editor speaking here, yeah. uh, your publisher, right? <laughs> An updated version, probably almost every year um, of of this particular book. I'm sure that your reference guide was done, obviously, in response to mm-hmm. what kind of exploded, I get probably in November of last year, pretty much, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we put this together this spring very quickly. We wanted to make sure it was a resource that would be available for the ISTE live conference at the end of June. This Mm -hmm. is, it's been my understanding, the first joint publication between ISTE and ASCD since the merger. So that's been exciting as well. And I have a lot of resources on my blog, class tech tips that I'm updating regularly and on my easy ed tech podcast too, to act as a supplement to some of these pieces. And, you know, I love the quick reference 
reference guides because they're laminated. They're not a book. <laughs> they're a little shorter, <laughs> a little bit quicker to move through, but also something that might feel really attainable for a group to have a discussion with as opposed to a book study, which I love, but I know from a facilitation perspective at a school level can be a little tough of an ask, especially during a busy time of year. What well, makes sense that your work would be the first to be an ISTE ASCD publication. That's really wonderful. I, and sometime I like to talk about that merger and how you feel about that. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. obviously I would imagine you're pretty positive about that too. Mm -hmm. You answered my, usually my, one of my final questions, and that is how can people get a hold of you? So in addition to your website, what are some other places uh, to find more out about Monica Burns? Well, I love sharing on social. So I'm at Class Tech Tips on Instagram and Twitter. That's always a great way to even send me a quick message if someone has a question after today or wants to connect. So I'm sharing in those spots. And then the website is classtechtips.com. And the podcast is the Easy EdTech Podcast. Great. And we'll make sure we listen to that. Hey, thanks so much for your time, Monica, today. And, and Steve, thank you for your time as well. No, thank you both. I, I really appreciate everything you're doing, Monica. So thank you. All right. Thank you so much. For more information on NHASCD and our conferences, head to our website, nhasd.org. Of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our mission is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. I'm Bill Carroza, co-executive director for NHASCD. And for Steve Bell. We'll see you next time for NHASCD Spotlight. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.